MSW Media. Thanks to Thuma for supporting the Daily Beans. Create that feeling of checking into your favorite hotel at home with The Bed by Thuma. Go to thuma.co slash beans and use code beans to receive a $25 credit towards your purchase of The Bed, plus free shipping in the continental U.S. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Monday, August 22nd, 2022. Today, a federal appeals court orders the release of the Bill Barr Office of Legal Counsel memo about how to spin the Mueller report to the public and Congress. Another federal appeals court rules that Lindsey Graham can't quash his Fulton County DA grand jury subpoena in full. The FBI is questioning former Trump National Security Council staff about the Mar-a-Lago documents. And Donald claims he is set to ask for a special master to review the seized evidence. I'm your host, Allison Gill. Hello, everyone. Happy Monday. It's AG. Allison Gill here. Tonight is the live show at Largo, Los Angeles, 7.30 p.m. Pacific. And it's a live show only in person. We aren't going to be able to stream this one, uh, but we will probably have some future streaming ones. The cool thing is, is if you can't make it to Los Angeles tonight, we're going to be recording this whole show and we're going to be playing it as a podcast episode because that's what it is, except it's not just me. It's going to have the Midas Touch guys, Frangela from the Steph Miller Sexy Liberal Network. We've got How We Win, Steve Pearson, a special secret guest. And of course, the imitable Kathy Griffin will be there to discuss the day's news. And I'm expecting Monday to be a pretty heavy news day. You can get your tickets to Largo and our live How We Win fundraiser. We're raising money for the How We Win Fund, which is, you know, electing Democrats in the midterms, which is like should be our big focus right now. We do have a lot of news to get to, and I will get to that. But this midterm election is so, so very important. We don't want to see Jim Jordan going on endlessly in Fauci and Merrick Garland investigations as he is chair of you know, whatever judiciary committee in the House or whatever they put him in charge of, because that will happen. And it's just not something I'm prepared to deal with. So please vote and please go to HowWeWinLive.com to buy your tickets. You can also make donations to the How We Win Fund if you can't make it tonight. But every dollar for your ticket goes toward this fund. MSW Media is picking up all expenses on me so that every single one of your dollars can go toward Democratic victory in the midterms. All right, we do have a lot of news to get to. As I mentioned, let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. All right, lead story from the weekend. And I always pick which one I think the lead story is. And this was the biggest news we've gotten in a while. An appeals court has made a decision forcing the Department of Justice to release in its entirety, I mean, you know, barring any redactions for privacy purposes, an Office of Legal Counsel memo ordered written by Bill Barr in March of 2019 about the release of the Mueller report. The memo includes information on deliberations about usurping the obstruction of justice charging decision, along with how to spin the report findings, the Mueller report findings, to the public and Congress. The appeals court upholds Judge Jackson's determination that the Department of Justice failed to show that there was deliberative process privilege over whether or not to indict Donald, 
because Barr had already made up his mind about that. And you can't deliberate about what you've already decided. That's the pre-decisional thing that's required to accept this under FOIA. And this was a FOIA lawsuit by the Citizens for Responsibility of Ethics in Washington. And without a resulting decision to tie the deliberation to, there can be no deliberation. The court pointed out that had the department argued that the memo was deliberating what to tell the public rather than whether or not to charge Donald, the court might have granted the Department of Justice motion to keep the second half of the memo sealed. But the DOJ failed to make that argument after filing five briefings and then filing an appeal and an application for a stay. It was only after the first half of the memo was released, which this DOJ allowed, that they learned that there was another point to the memo, to the deliberations, which was to how, you know, how to spin this to the public. And the appeals court found that you don't get a sua sponte second chance from the court without asking for one. And they didn't move to ask for a second chance, nor did they move to keep the first half blocked. And even if they did ask for a second chance, it probably would have been denied because this court cites a bunch of reasons and a bunch of case law of them denying a second chance ask in the past. Now, I did an hour-long episode of Mueller, she wrote, this past Saturday about this very filing. And that episode is for patrons. So you can check that out in your premium feed. From now on, whenever a Mueller, she wrote episode pops up, I'm just going to put it out to patrons with premium feeds. So if you want to become a patron, it's, it's super cheap. It's like three bucks a month, 36 bucks a year. You can get access to all that bonus content. And you can do that at patreon.com slash Mueller, she wrote. You can also sign up for a premium feed, the same premium feed with all the same content on Supercast. I still don't know the next steps in this case. Merrick Garland might not appeal en banc to the full panel of the appeals court, or he might. He might drop it totally. They might appeal to the Supreme Court and ask for a stay pending an appeal. We haven't heard yet. But here's the thing. The original shitty arguments for keeping the memo under seal weren't made by Garland. They were made by Barr and his Department of Justice. And I think Garland was simply continuing the fight using Barr's arguments like they weren't going to help him out. Because they're not good arguments. And as the court said, if the DOJ had used the argument about there being a decision on what to tell the public, the DOJ might have won. But Garland didn't add that. And I can't help but think that Garland and other top DOJ officials were discussing this case saying, look, we need to act like a DOJ that defends the DOJ. So let's argue using Barr's arguments, but let's not add any good arguments that we know could win. Let's keep using his arguments. That might have happened. It might not. I'm not sure what happened. But last year, when I read this Department of Justice's arguments, I thought these are crap arguments for such a cool DOJ. And they were crap arguments because they were Bill Barr's arguments. And Garland's DOJ didn't amend them at all to make them better. In fact, he conceded a bunch of stuff. Garland said, well, Barr actually argued attorney-client privilege, too, alongside deliberative process privilege. But they decided to drop that argument. And then later said, we hope the court doesn't think we made these arguments in bad faith. They literally said that in their filing, which makes me think like they just came shy of saying, hey, we're just arguing what the last guy argued. You know, that's... That's the best we're going to do. I don't know if that's the case, but I will let you know whether Garland appeals this or lets it go. 
so that the memo can be released to crew. And again, that's the organization that sued for it under FOIA. I hope, Garland says, we agree with the court. We tried the arguments that the Department of Justice put forth. Those arguments lost. Release the memo. Release the bats. Release them now. And the fairly conservative 11th Circuit Court of Appeals has ruled that Lindsay can't quash his entire subpoena, meaning he didn't want to show up and testify in front of the Fulton County, Georgia, special purpose grand jury. And he said, quash the whole thing. And the court said, no. And then the appeals court said, yeah, no, you can't quash the whole thing. So he will have to testify. But what about? That's the question. They temporarily stayed the testimony, which was due August 23rd, tomorrow. And they sent the case back down to the circuit court. So the circuit court can decide exactly what he must testify to. We've seen this a lot in Trump cases, right? Trump will say, no, you can't have my tax returns at all. And then then it'll go up to the appeals court and the appeals court will say, well, you can have some, but you can't have all. Go back down to the lower court and figure out which ones you can and can't have and then come back and talk to me. So this happens a lot. It's a good delay tactic. So they're sending it back down to the circuit court so they can decide what he has to testify to and what the speech or debate clause protects him from having to testify to, because that's his defense. I shouldn't have to say anything because of speech or debate clause. But the lower court was like, no, 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 that doesn't cover everything they want to ask you about. So now the appeals court is saying, find out what it covers and what it doesn't cover. Again, the speech or debate clause shields Congress people from criminal and civil investigations over stuff they do and say while discharging their duties in Congress. And Lindsay argued that his calls to Raffensperger were used for legislative purposes, specifically in deciding whether to certify Biden's victory. He claims it helped him. The calls with Raffensperger helped him decide to certify Biden's victory on January 6th, which is a congressional duty. And he said it was going to help him get information about how to legislate any Electoral Count Act and voting law reforms. But the district court said that's not all they want to ask you about, like I said. And the appeals court agreed. But they remanded the case back to the circuit court to determine what can and can't be talked about. I simultaneously hate and don't mind this ruling. I don't mind it because it's another step of due process that prevents against appeal on conviction. And I don't mind it because it agrees that Lindsay can't get out of testifying altogether. He will have to testify. And I don't mind it because it leaves the briefing schedule to the circuit court, the lower court. That's the same court that outright denied his motion to quash and refused to grant a stay pending appeal. So I don't think this circuit court's taken any shit. The reason I hate it, the reason I think it's bullshit, is because the circuit court, the lower court, already parsed what could and couldn't be discussed. And what should happen, I think, is that he should be compelled to testify first. And then if he raises speech or debate privilege or whatever, then they should litigate it. But either way, that would have to be litigated whether it's before he testifies and he would probably improperly invoke it during testimony. And this allows the special purpose grand jury to question him with those details already worked out. So the delay would happen now or it would happen after he testified. The fact remains that had the appeals court simply agreed with the circuit court, Lindsay would have to testify tomorrow. So this will delay that. We just don't know for how long, but If the appeals court had simply compelled him to testify, as I said, he would testify tomorrow. He would invoke speech or debate and we'd be right back into court. So delay now or delay later. 
When I know the briefing schedule, I'll let you know. Per usual, the decision reached in the circuit can and probably will be appealed again. And now down to Mar-a-Lago. When FBI agents found top secret documents at Mar-a-Lago, the former president and his staff claimed the docs were actually declassified by a mysterious standing order. Now that feds are investigating Trump's alibi to see if anyone besides Trump heard about it, the people they're investigating are saying it's bogus. Two people familiar with the matter tell Rolling Stone that the FBI has begun asking former Trump administration officials whether they've heard about the so-called standing declassification order Trump claims to have given. In recent days, the sources say, the feds have sent interview requests to ex-officials, including former National Security Council personnel. The FBI has asked some of them to visit local FBI field offices to answer follow-up questions concerning the ex-president, classified and highly sensitive documents, and the alleged order, the standing order. That order, Trump's office insisted last week, dictated any documents removed from the Oval Office and taken into the residence were automatically deemed to be classified. Beep, boop, boop, automatic. So far, these interviews have been voluntary, but as with any FBI investigation, witnesses are required by federal law to tell the truth or risk potential prosecution for false statements. Hello, Mike Flynn. The few Trump administration national security veterans willing to speak publicly or on background thus far have not corroborated Trump's claims of a standing order. In a story posted Thursday, CNN asked 18 former Trump officials whether they knew of such an order. None of them had. And from Hugo Lowell at The Guardian, Donald Trump is strongly considering seeking the appointment of a special court official, a special master, to determine whether materials seized from his resort, I guess if you want to call it a resort, can be used in a criminal investigation. And that's according to his new lead attorney, Jim Trusty, and two other sources. The motion, if it's actually ever filed, would be the first formal legal action by the former president after federal agents confiscated about 30 boxes of highly sensitive documents from his resort. Now, Trump would argue that the court should appoint a special master, usually a retired lawyer or judge, because the FBI potentially seized privileged materials in the search and the Justice Department should not itself decide what it can use in an investigation. That's according to the sources. The ex-president's lead attorney, Trusty, that's such a <laughs> such a wrong name for anybody working on the legal team for Trump. He said on the Mark Levin show Friday evening, he was anticipating a motion that would force the Justice Department to disclose what pre-raid instructions were given to FBI agents who executed the search warrant. Trusty, former chief of the organized crime section at the Justice Department, also said on the radio show that a court filing could come either that evening, Friday evening, or the following Monday, though he added it's probably going to be more like hours from now. But nothing yet. The lack of entry on the Mar-a-Lago docket over the weekend appeared to suggest that for all of Trusty's declarations, the Trump legal team had not settled on a singular defense strategy as it struggles to parse what the Justice Department may do next in its investigation. It's really hard to argue that you need to appoint a special master, and there's a couple of reasons for that. First of all, there was one on site. Not a special master, but a privilege team. There was one on site. <laughs> so, you know, it's a little hard to say, stop this now, it's an emergency, claw it back, put the toothpaste back in the tube. And it's also hard to declare it an emergency when you haven't filed anything in two weeks. The Justice Department's counterintelligence chief, Jay Bratt, that's the espionage expert, said in court this week the investigation surrounding the search was still in early stages though references to the Espionage Act and obstruction statutes in the search warrant could reflect legal peril for Trump. Why Trump is considering filing a motion now 
nearly two weeks after the search, isn't clear. The former president and his allies have previously moved quickly to request special masters, including when he was in office. You know, former lawyer Michael Cohen, when he was searched, they immediately jumped on that. It was the same special master in Cohen's case, by the way, that the court appointed. That was the special master for Rudy Giuliani's seizure of his 18 cell phones last April. And I mean, April 2021. The timing is important, Hugo says, because the federal agents who execute search warrants are typically themselves members of a taint team and filter what they remove from a property in real time. For documents with classified markings, those are sent to the agencies for review. But this two-week delay means that even if Trump had filed a motion when Trustee first indicated last Friday and the court restrained the Justice Department from further examining the materials until filtered by a special master, the prosecutors probably already sifted through it all and sent it off to the intelligence agencies. The impetus to file a motion now appears to have come, and here's the buried lead here, it appears to have come in part as a reaction to criticism from Trump allies that the former president's legal team had not filed a motion to unseal the affidavit. Trump was unimpressed that Fox News host Laura Ingram repeated that criticism in an interview Thursday with one of his lawyers, Christina Bob, and indicated that he thought his lawyers should be fighting harder on his behalf against the Justice Department. Laura Ingram kind of basically told Christina Bob how to do her job, and Trump saw that and went, this is terrible, we have to file something. Another person close to the former president said that the account was fake news, right? Trustee and two other lawyers on the Trump legal team did not respond to a request for comment, but the announcement about potentially filing that, I don't know, request for a special master came less than 24 hours after that Fox News segment. And Bob's appearance, which is widely seen as the face of Trump's defense team in the case, was also subject to internal criticism among aides. Hmm. So he watches TV and then he acts, but he still hasn't acted yet. And they're probably because they can't come up with a good reason to file this now, two weeks later. And in a related story from Politico, as she entered the federal courthouse in West Palm Beach Thursday to bear witness to the hearing on the potential release of the FBI's basis for searching Mar-a-Lago, Donald Trump attorney Bob, Christina Bob, paused to ask one of the law enforcement officers outside a question. Where exactly do I need to go? Soon, Bob found a front row seat and sat quietly throughout, telling reporters she was just there to watch. Rare is the case that a Trump emissary is an addendum to and not the focus of a high-profile proceeding. And Bob's decision to observe rather than partake ended up earning her a grilling from Laura Ingram, who wondered whether she had fortified Trump's right to help shape the process behind the potential release of the affidavit. Quote, we really just chose to see how it would play out, Bob replied. It's kind of like endorsing two Eric's, right? Well, you know, if we don't take a side, whoever wins, we win. The moment underscored an increasingly apparent truth about Trump's legal strategy. He and his team haven't settled on a singular approach and appear in the dark about what may come next. And I don't know if they're in the dark as much as they're doing their typical, you know, shtick of flood the zone with shit, as Bannon would say. Put as many defenses out there, even if they contradict each other, to muddy the water. Trump has often used litigation to delay, but has been loath to go on offense, particularly when he's likely to lose because he's lost so often. His vow Friday to make that major motion appears to be keeping with that approach. And Bob's quiet approach to Thursday's hearing in Florida differed conspicuously from the tack taken by Trump, 
who has loudly insisted the DOJ released the unredacted affidavit underlying the search warrant executed at Mar-a-Lago. Several media organizations and conservative judicial watch and cons- I like how I like how Politico says several media organizations and conservative judicial watch because they don't belong in the category of media organizations filed motions with the federal magistrate to do just that. But Trump never authorized his legal team to make that formal request. <laughs> so he didn't file in that either. His demand for the release of the affidavit was itself a shift. He and his team initially resisted public release of the search warrant, which they had access to on August 8th. Christina Bob signed for it. Only after Attorney General Merrick Garland took the unusual step of moving to release the warrant did Trump start calling for more transparency. And when Trump got his publicly stated wish to release the search warrant, Americans learned about dozens of boxes containing classified material he'd squirreled away and that DOJ was probing potential felonies, including espionage and obstruction of justice, the king daddy of the three charges on that warrant. Trump has gone after the judge that signed the warrant. He's gone after the FBI. He's argued that the DOJ didn't exhaust all their options. They totally did. None of that's true. And now their new argument is that the FBI treats him differently, more harshly, because they don't like him. They treated him more harshly than they treated Hillary. And yes, it's true. The FBI didn't execute search warrants on Hillary. But that's because she handed over everything voluntarily. Donald fought. He fought the National Archives. He fought the Department of Justice. He fought the head of espionage for 18 months. He refused to hand everything over, and then he lied about it. Donald even said the FBI lied to the judge to get the search warrant. That's what he says. Now, maybe he's confusing the FBI with the cops in the Breonna Taylor case. They found the cops did lie to obtain that search warrant and then murdered her while she slept. Something this DOJ, by the way, has charged those officers with, which local prosecutors failed to do. All right, we'll be right back with the good news. Stay with us. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey, everybody, your bedroom deserves a refresh. And now is the perfect time to elevate the most important room in your home with Thuma. Thuma practices an intentional, less is more design philosophy for the bedroom. It's got clean lines, subtle curves, lifestyle enhancing details. It's so beautiful. Thuma proves that simplicity is the form, truest form of sophistication. I love everything Thuma makes, and my favorite thing is the bed. It's handcrafted from eco-friendly, high-quality, upcycled wood. That's very important to me. And you'll find it beautiful. It's got unique variations in the natural grain. It's got a minimalist design. It features Japanese joinery and helps elevate your space. It's very, very supportive of your mattress. It's breathable, and it's made to naturally minimize noise. But the cool thing I love is it creates space. It opens up your room. I love mine. It looks amazing. And it takes my entire bedroom to the next level. I'm so happy I decided to buy the bed. I got the bed. It opened it all up. I put some wallpaper on one wall, got some nice lighting in there, completely changed the atmosphere. I absolutely love it. It's made for how you live. The bed by Thuma is backed with a lifetime warranty. It ships right to your door in three easy to maneuver boxes. And it only takes about five minutes to put together yourself. No tools required. I did it myself. Along with the bed, Thuma has other bedroom essentials to elevate bedtime. They have the nightstand, the side table, and the tray. They're all perfect complements to the bed. So create that feeling of checking into your favorite boutique hotel suite, but at home with the bed by Thuma. And right now, go to thuma.co slash beans to receive a $25 credit toward your purchase of the bed, plus free shipping in the continental U.S. Just go to thuma.co slash beans. That's thuma, T-H-U-M-A dot C-O slash beans for a $25 credit. 
Everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. Who likes good news, everyone? Then good news, everyone. Good news, good news. And if you have any good news or confessions, corrections, anything, anything at all you want to send me. I love photos. Uh, I love playing What the Mutt. If you happen to know if you did a DNA test on your rescue pup to find out what's in there. I love trying to guess, even though I'm very, very bad at it. <laughs> um, if you have any whoopee stories, if you want to give a shout out to some somebody in your life who just deserves to have humongous amounts of praise heaped upon them. You can send it all to me at dailybeanspod.com and click on contact. In case you're wondering where Dana is, she's out working. She is doing her job. She will be back, I promise. So let's kick this off with Lewis. No pronouns given. Hi, I'm a 74-year-old guy who started jogging three miles a day, changed my diet, and lost 30 pounds after being diagnosed with AFib. As my age suggests, I'm not the fastest jogger in my town. There is one individual I do regularly outclass, Tommy the Turtle. A box turtle, very common here in New Jersey, who has decided to share our backyard property. Oh my God, he's so cute. He's a constant encouragement to my daily jog. And although I'm very slow, I know I can wipe the floors with Tommy. Look at this turtle. (laughs) Oh my God, that's so amazing. And congrats. That's so great. I'm glad that uh, you're getting a little bit healthy there, Lewis. Next up from Melissa, pronouns she and her. Hey, Beans Queens. I just want to say thank you again for navigating us through these tumultuous times and giving us hope for justice. For pod tax, I submit you Stanley, who decided to grab a bottle of ibuprofen in the bag when I wasn't looking and somehow managed to get the top off. Knowing he ate at least one, but not sure of the others, he called our vet and they immediately made us come in. He spent the rest of the day getting his stomach pumped and he will be on IV fluids for the next three days. The lick sleeve is so he doesn't pull off the IV catheter they put in. He's definitely regretting his decisions today, as is natural for him ever with a smile on his face. This is my PSA. Always keep an eye on your pets. Don't assume anything medicinal is innocuous to them. He'll be fine. But one ibuprofen costs me a thousand bucks. Thank goodness for pet insurance. If you don't carry it, you probably really should. Bye. Thank you so much for that, Melissa. I'm so, so glad Stanley is okay. Look at this baby in his little one sleeve. Oh, what a sweetheart. Oh, we don't deserve dogs. Next up from Anonymous, he and him. Hi, Beans Queens. I love and admire you both and start my day with you five days a week. In June, I was unceremoniously fired when I delivered bad news to the leadership team at my job. I'm 65 years old and a man, but not ready for retirement. I've been interviewing for new roles and hope to land something soon. I had an initial interview with the firm today. I heard through my recruiter they thought I was tremendously awesome. So hopefully I'll land something soon. I'm sure you will. My pet tax is a pick of our love, Luna. Last time I wrote to you, she was recovering from ACL surgery. Today, she's full strength and full speed. A happy, healthy three-year-old rescue German Shepherd dog slash hound mix. Look at the baby. (gasps) Those bones right there, that kind of bone with the bone marrow inside. Olive loves those so much. Oh, (laughs) the middle picture is so cute. The third picture is great too, but that middle picture, huh? Huh? It's that German Shepherd, huh? Held, you know, the head tilt, huh? What? That's so great. I love it. Next up from Atomic Penguin, pronouns he and him. Hey, Beanie Queenies. I live in rural Wisconsin and work at a factory. A coworker of mine, codenamed Dave for privacy, and I have butted heads a number of times over the Trump presidency. He bet me a soda on November 3rd, the former guy would win the election by November 4th. 
for example, and then refused to pay up, insisting the former guy hasn't lost yet. He never conceded. (laughs) That sounds about right. Real piece of work there, huh? Out here in this red district, I watch and kept him up to date on the various investigations into Trump and explain the legal theories behind how it all works. With a search warrant on Mar-a-Lago, he's really fallen deeper into a well, even though most of my coworkers have largely given up on the Donald. So instead of wasting time and effort explaining, no, Dave, buddy, even if it were declassified, you can't store presidential records at a golf course under the Presidential Records Act, my guy. I started sending him dark branded memes on his work email account. By the way, one thing you can talk about, though, Atomic Penguin is obstruction, although the Trump crowd doesn't seem to think obstruction of justice is a big deal. So I started sending him dark branded memes on his work email account by printing them out and then scanning them through the HR printer and emailing them to him. So he doesn't know who's sending them to him because the scanner just says it comes from the scanner. (laughs) Dave suspected me initially, but I told him I'm more of a tell you you're a dick to your face kind of fella. He's been going around to all these people who voted for Biden and confronting them. And now several people are sending him dark Brandon memes via the HR office printer. (laughs) Childish? Sure, I'll own that. But you know what? Watching him seethe around the factory, wanting to spew his Fox News talking points, but not knowing who to defend the former guy against is just cathartic. I love the smell of malarkey in the morning. It smells like moral victory. Yes, good trouble. Good malarkey. Thanks for all you do. Uh, And then I got a little meme here. Knock, knock. Who's there? Joe. Joe who? Joe ass is going to jail. Then uh, more dark Brandon memes. These are the ones he sent, probably. Gets COVID, can't breathe. Donald Trump. Gets COVID, kills top Al-Qaeda leader. (laughs) Joe Biden. And then. Oh, yeah, these are just great. I love these. Thank you for doing that's funny. And I love how people now have joined in to send him (laughs) to send him dark Brandon memes from the. From the anonymous printer. Ah, that's great. Thank you for all these. Everybody send send me your good news. I need it this week. Again, Los Angeles tonight at Largo with Kathy Griffin, Midas Touch, Frangela, How We Win, and little old me. Um, And every single dollar goes to electing Democrats in the midterms. Go to howwewinlive.com. There's just a few tickets left. I'm not sure if you'll be able to just show up and get in. You might, though. Give it a shot. Swing by. We'd love to see you. And that's the show. I will be back tomorrow. The news, you know, we, you know, we report the Monday news on Tuesday, and I think it's going to be pretty, it's going to be, we'll be wild. Be, be there. We'll be wild. Until then, please take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Take care of the planet. Take care of your mental health. Be careful of your face and vote blue over Q. I'm A.G. and them's the beans. The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg and Amy Carrero. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane with art and web design by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. Music for The Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants and the show is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, please visit mswmedia.com. MSW Media.